everybody, David Sylvan here again, and welcome to the latest installment of our UH Ventures Health Voyages podcast series. Happy New Year. It's the second day of the year, and we thought we'd take a minute to reflect on the past year, talk about UH Ventures, talk about university hospitals, and what we can expect in 2020 and beyond. And of course, no one better to do this than to come full circle with our inaugural guest, Dr. Eric Beck, President of Ventures. Hey, Eric. Good, uh, good day, good new year. Thank you, thank you. So I know it feels like yesterday, but we're uh, two years into this, uh, into this venture, into this uh, journey, and we've, we've transitioned. We started with the, with the forensics, the, the planning, the envisioning, the, the building modes, and we've now morphed into the, the transactional, the, the, the measurable activities driving our strategy forward. So when you think about those 24 months, these 24 months, what stands out most to you, either in terms of, of people, transactions, initiatives, all of the above? Yeah, it's a great question. I was actually just reflecting back on uh, how far we've come and how far we have to, to go. Um, you know, it, it's really been a remarkable 24 months. And, and I'd start off with perhaps uh, the most uh, remarkable um, output, which I think has been the excitement and the hunger for innovation and entrepreneurship across the, the UH organization, and in, in many cases, um, growing every day uh, with our partners in the Northeast Ohio ecosystem. Um, that, I think, is, is perhaps the most uh, exciting of, uh, of the, the outputs uh, over the past 24 months. Having said that, there's, there's notable accomplishments that can't go without, without taking stock of. Uh, the the top line revenue growth that we've seen uh, in our operating portfolio has been um, uh, phenomenal. Uh, obviously, that's delivering uh, contribution margin to underwrite our platform and to to fuel uh, innovative investments at a system level. Uh, we've launched five new companies: our joint venture with Hospice of the Western Reserve, uh, a new physician services joint venture, University Hospitals Clinical Associates. And then three spin-out companies from uh, intellectual property and uh, entrepreneurs inside our system. So, to me, it's uh, it's sort of firing on all cylinders. Um, two years in, we definitely have traction, but um, you know, it's really all about uh, the next chapter and uh, uh, the ambitious agenda we have in front of us. What do you think? Well, I certainly agree with the notion of uh, the tangible. I think the standing up of companies, the standing up of of, uh, of spinouts. You know, we do a lot of work inside of the four walls, and uh, you know, we tend to to look to bend revenue curves or cost curves. Sometimes those things are a little bit um, then they're insufficiently tangible for people to see the the outcome and the output. But when you take some homegrown intellectual property and you can stand that up and, and form a company that then takes on its own persona, it goes from being, uh, from being theoretical, being uh, woven into sort of everyday business as usual, and this is something that's, that's, that's real. So I think, um, for me, those, those are exemplify the most tangible aspects of the work that we do successfully. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it really is the <clears throat> the incubation process uh, uh, demonstrated to to see idea mature through its uh, its life cycle into a living and breathing um, entity uh, that's now uh, out in the out in the uh, the marketplace, uh, raising funds, iterating the next version of their product, 
um, it really is a, a remarkable uh, uh, conception story. And I think it's also easy, Eric, to look to solutions from, from elsewhere. I think everyone sort of de-risks their decisioning by looking to the coasts for solutions. So I think there's pride to be had when we look to solve for our own solutions, but those solutions have scalability beyond the, the confines of, of, uh, of UH. So along those lines, what do you think differentiates our platform from our peer platforms, other provider-based ventures and innovation uh, uh, entities? It's a great question, David. I think as we think about uh, our operating portfolio, I think it's, it's probably the most differentiating component. And the fact that we've linked that with our innovation uh, platform, such that we're actually creating uh, financial underwriting and runway to allow the innovation process to unfold uh, in, a, in a way in which it, it perhaps um, is enabled and permissioned um, with more patience and more forgive, uh, forgiveness than a, a traditional funding process. Um, very much like a private equity company, our operating portfolio allows us to potentialize uh, high growth, high margin business segments to realize their full potential, both in serving our core mission uh, to heal, to teach, and to discover, but also to help uh, underwrite the broader innovation enterprise. Uh, to me, that's that's probably hands down the, the most uh, unique aspect is how we've we've coupled those two uh, those two elements: the operating portfolio and the innovation portfolio under one uh, one structure. I think when you add the people component to that, Eric, you. You have a perfect storm. We, we, we've been very mindful with regard to how this team has been built in terms of diversity of, of experience, diversity of skill set, diversity in, in, in the most holistic sense. And I think the manner in which our team relentlessly focuses on the problem and not barreling towards an immediate solution, I think really um, adeptly stitches together the, the, the operating portfolio that, that you talk about and what would be considered the pure innovation or the more traditional innovation activities. So I think we've created that perfect storm. Um, I'm, I'm particularly lucky and, and humbled to be associated with a team and a group of people who are able to um, swim well outside of the boundaries of their own lane lines from a contribution perspective. And I think it's made for a, a more elegant set of, uh, set of solutions. I would add to that, David, not only more elegant set of solutions, but in fact, I think it's what's driving the performance in our, our outcomes. I think that the diversity and the inclusion, uh, both in the people and in the skills and competencies they bring forth, are helping us take a, a fairly eclectic set of opportunities, uh, operations uh, inside out, outside in, and really take them to, to new heights uh, through a collaborative structure that... Um, you know, I've, I've never had the privilege to, to participate in as, as intimately as I am here. So I uh, would, would second that. That is the, uh, uh, the real power of, uh, of what's being assembled here. So let's, let's shift for a second. Let's talk about rules of engagement. We, we have steadfastly stuck to a, um, a set of strategic imperatives over the last four years. Certainly, they, they remain as uh, sound and resolute as they were uh, the day they were conceived. But how sacrosanct are 
rules of engagement? Should we um, periodically revisit our strategic imperatives? Should they be um, pivots or, or iterations, or, or, or do we stick to our guns uh, until um, the battle is won, the problem is solved, so to speak? You know, real strategy, I think, is is so much about what you choose to stop doing and what you choose to start doing. And uh, one of my favorite um, uh, innovation authors, Vijay Govindarajan, in his uh, book, Ten Rules of Strategic Innovation, talks about managing the present, selectively forgetting the past, and creating the future. And I think that uh, in our uh, area of, of focus, uh, every 12 to 24 months taking a wholesale uh, refresh on what are our areas of focus is our structure going to enable uh, the, the 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 stopping in the beginning of uh, new activity of course there's a reality we've set some things in motion we can't neglect follow through on those and so that's the manage the present so to me um, I think two years in is a great time to look back and say where have we gained traction what work do we need to complete but how do we continue to focus going forward, which probably means uh, choosing to, to discontinue some uh, areas of, uh, of historical priority and also beginning to uh, initiate some new work uh, and activity uh, around some uh, forward-looking strategic themes. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's easy to, to sort of succumb to a rote mindset. I think we, we have to periodically intellectually challenge ourselves in an honest manner and uh, Besides which, I think there's a lot of lift to be had from the freshness when it comes to uh, to the uh, careful and collective and mindful uh, assembly of a new set of, uh, of imperatives. I don't necessarily have to ignore or uh, throw the uh, the erstwhile out of the window, but perhaps uh, perhaps some freshness is uh, is in order. You know, to that point, and to your 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 prior uh, uh, response uh, about the team. You know, uh, as the team has grown, as we've brought in fresh talent, I think that becomes a, a wonderful opportunity to uh, bring new perspective, to sort of challenge the thinking, to critically appraise, um, you know, how we're approaching the strategy. Um, and that talent really enriches our ability to stay fresh. So um, I think it's uh, it's all connected, as they say. So... I attended a, uh, a conference in Silicon Valley a couple of years ago, and uh, there was a rather sobering keynote address where the presenter, and I've forgotten who it was, uh, made mention of the fact that corporate venture capital platforms usually have a shelf life of six, seven, eight months. They, they don't last. And we know that innovation is the long game. So how do you think about managing or assuaging leadership patience when it comes to innovation, ROI, and, and associated return horizons? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's not a, uh, you know, a silver bullet. I think it's a dynamic process in which organizations, including our own, have to derive value from the innovation process. And what, what was so compelling to me about the UH Ventures vision and about the good work we're doing every day is that we're not doing it alone. We're doing it in partnership with the system, with our operational partners, um, with our patients, and with our neighbors in the community. And that's a, a much more enduring platform for a few reasons. One, uh, the inclusion of the operating portfolio, as we've said, generates near-term returns in a very concrete, demonstrable monetary way. And that, that allows a lot of other things to 
uh, take on an appropriate uh, timeline. The second is that we've got um, the right uh, mix of activities that have different time horizons to maturation. And that allows us to think about balancing across a portfolio of activity uh, to accomplish that, that innovation uh, uh, pursuit. And then the, the third is um, back to the team. So to the extent we're infusing the organization with new talent, um, developing talent inside the organization in partnership with UH Ventures, um, we're helping to ignite um, a whole new uh, layer of value creation that perhaps is not um, typically seen as the, you know, the bottom line impact day one, but we're making sort of a long range investment in talent uh, that again gets back to innovation and entrepreneurship as sort of softer uh, cultural uh, priorities that the the organization sees as important for the long haul. Um, again, uh, we're we're able to do that because we've got uh, sort of this operating backbone and this operating partnership that not all uh, corporate venturing strategies um, uh, encompass. How do you think about uh, our our two-year runway and our strategy and how that intersects with the, the vulnerability of venturing from a corporate perspective? I think that comes down to leadership courage. You know, we, the industry we're in, and we're not unique to this, I think there's, there's going to be a, a challenge de jour, there's going to be a disaster de jour, there's always going to be something right around the corner that's unforeseen, that's, that, that we weren't able to predict or preempt that tends to take the focus off the long game. And I think it takes a lot of courage to state and, and to, to not only state, but to act according to a, a, a doctrine or discipline of we will steer our own destiny if we take the long view and if we understand and expect and accept that there are going to be some, some bumps in the road, but we we give a platform the opportunity, the time to, to have its efforts season into return. And, and again, the portfolio approach, I think, does do a lot to um, um, dilute the, the concern associated with eggs in one basket from a, from a, from a risk profile perspective. Um, but I think it comes down to, to leadership, courage, and, and uh, permissioning. So Eric, let's. Uh, this is uh, this is now where we we look ahead, and let's look to the to the near future. Let's look to next the, the year that we're currently in, two thousand and twenty, and then and then slightly beyond. I don't think it's unreasonable to to state that, although every system, um, healthcare system, provider system, seems to be talking about the importance of preparing itself for the changes that are inevitable, the, the shift to, to value, competition, a changing patient demographic, et cetera. We already know because we surveil, uh, we surveil the environment, we travel around, we meet with our peers and other systems, not everyone is doing something about that. We, we are um, at or ahead of the game by many measures. Um, what threats, what concerns uh, are foremost in your mind? Um, what do you see as potentially offering the most set of compelling opportunities for us, given the inevitability of these headwinds? You know, it's, it's interesting that the, um, you know, the healthcare sector, um, you know, is, 
is challenged. It's been well documented by many <clears throat> in terms of uh, failing to realize the productivity gains that we've seen in other industries, uh, failing to embrace uh, some of the promising disruptive technologies. Um, but perhaps, you know, one of the greatest opportunities is really focusing on our people. And our people are perhaps the, uh, the greatest opportunity and the greatest risk point in an organization. I think about Northeast Ohio, just from a demographic perspective, we have a contracting population by, by most measures, and we have an aging population. Uh, healthcare is an industry that's largely been um, led uh, through experience and through uh, instinct. Um, you know, more recently, there's certainly been uh, data and technology to help bolster that. But uh, we're really talking about an evolution in the delivery model itself, an evolution in the way it's paid, uh, a relative um, uh, delinquent posture in terms of technology and how we shore up uh, the people, both those that we have today and those that we're preparing uh, to take the mantle, um, I think is one of the greatest opportunities and one of the greatest risks to our organization and to, uh, to health systems around the country. Hopefully, um, the work that we're endeavoring on uh, helps to uh, offset that, but uh, that is, uh, that's a real risk. What's your, uh, what's your chief uh, concern about uh, threats? Well, I see the threat and the the opportunity is the same as as synonymous in my mind. You know, we hear a lot about the robots are going to take our jobs, and candidly, I think the robots should take many of our jobs. But I think the way in which we weave human-centered design into the manner in which we assess and adjudicate new opportunities and technologies really bridges the potential divide between the person and the technology. Um, a lot of lip service is paid to things like workflows and things like people impacts. But, you know, we, we, we very purposefully focus on that interplay, that interaction between thing and person or technology and action. And I think that's um, a differentiator for us. But if we do that in isolation and we don't manage to do that institutionally, that too is a is a threat. So staying on on the topic of 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 the future, crystal ball stuff, Eric. Look out five years, look out ten years, you choose the time horizon. What thematically will we as providers, as as administrators, what will we be doing differently uh, from the standard practice that we're familiar with today, in your mind? Yeah, two, two big themes um, that, that I would sort of bet on, um, not normally a betting, betting person, but um, one is uh, consumerism, and not necessarily in the way that, um, you know, it's kind of often talked about today in terms of price comparisons and transparency and sort of shopping around, but consumerism in terms of um, market dynamics, in terms of how people... Uh, drive expectation around service and reliability and how behavior from a consumer loyalty perspective is really earned uh, in a, a healthcare environment. The other is um, when we think about uh, outcomes as becoming a really important um, driver of healthcare. Uh, today, we're still very much uh, connected to a fee-for-service, volume-driven, activity-driven enterprise. 
uh, from from a, a health reimbursement standpoint, as opposed to a health outcome standpoint that would be uh, tied to things that are more important to the consumer, more important to the patient, more important to the community in terms of really moving the needle on uh, on health and health status. Um, so to me, those are two relatively safe long-term bets. How we get there and what what kind of uh, turbulent ride we have between now and then uh, with headwinds from a reimbursement standpoint, uh, uh, a changing health policy landscape with a, a presidential election afoot, and then the realities of uh, growing health disparities and health inequities in our communities. Um, it's uh, it's a unclear uh, view into the crystal ball for me, David. What uh, yeah, what are your it's, best? Yeah, it's it's daunting. I think that we probably can all acknowledge, um, and there's evidence to support this, that the bricks and mortar model is a thing of the past, and that the uh, the domain, the confines of the the provider, the hospital itself is. Um, in some respects, going to continue to be de-emphasized for different modalities of, of healthcare delivery. And my concern, perhaps, when I look out into the future is once we begin to truly perfect how we deliver healthcare in a more um, virtual, digital manner, how we still re- retain that threshold of um, personalized care, personal interaction between provider and patients and you know there there are things that we already look at whether it be you know in the augmented or virtual reality space or uh, in the in the more binary uh, video connectivity space I think that um, as healthcare begins to place more reliance on remote delivery we're going to have to remain mindful of retaining that threshold of of uh, of personal re- uh, interaction and that flows into to my next question, which is the corollary of the last. How will we, in your mind, as patients, then experience healthcare over the next, uh, you know, five, ten years and beyond? I don't know that I have an answer to that question. I um, I do think that you're raising a a principal concern as a, a physician uh, myself. You know how we ensure that through. Uh, digitization and efficiency achievement, even while improving outcomes, we don't lose that intensely human uh, element of care uh, that that I think we've all experienced uh, uh, through whatever health care uh, uh, we've received. Um, it's also something that's very hard to uh, quantify or to define uh, in a holistic sense with words or with data. It really is uh, something that, uh, you know, you know it when you see it, uh, uh, and uh, you also know when it's when it's not there. And um, I think one of the concerns is, is uh, will will we be mindful of that before it, it's, it's evaporated? And, uh, you know, whether you look at uh, the next generation of nurses or physicians that are coming out, um, hopefully we're um, preparing them both with a, an eye towards the future in which uh, technology and digital and, and virtual is uh, a very meaningful part of the way in which we do our work, uh, but we're not uh, we're not losing that connectivity um, that that ultimately is a human to human act. All right, Eric. As we've done with uh, with all of our guests, you uh, you don't avoid the inevitable either. We're going to ask a, a final question before we sign off for for, for the day. 
Um, give us a sense for what you're currently reading, what you might recommend, or any podcast you're listening to. Yeah, I'll give you one. Uh, actually, gonna gonna pass out to uh, to the ventures team as a uh, a 2020 uh, 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 reading to do item. Um, it's called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Uh, he's uh, uh, familiar to me from his prior book, Start with Why and Leaders Eat Last. And um, this is a, a wonderful book that really changes uh, the way in which um, one thinks about strategy, the way in which you think about business, um, and the way in which we think about how we conduct ourselves uh, in, uh, in that endeavor every day. So I would uh, definitely encourage folks to, uh, to dig in. I'm uh, almost, almost done, but uh, it's been a great uh, book uh, I've dug into here uh, uh, to get 2020 off to a good start. What, uh, what are you reading, if I may ask? Yeah, and, you know, plagiarism is flattery to some extent. One of our prior guests mentions this, mentioned this book, which, uh, as a result, I picked up, um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. It's, it's really the, the intersection of, of biology and perhaps the limitation of biology and then how culture can, can uh, the, 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 the influence of culture can extend us beyond the potential confines of, uh, of biology. Plenty of books in that genre, the Carl Sagans and the Stephen Hawkins, etc. But this is a, a contemporary version, which I'm uh, which I'm really enjoying. And then in terms of podcasts, I uh, I stick to the true and tried in terms of Guy Raz. Um, How I built this, I think, is a is a tremendous uh, podcast series. It gives you really critical insight into the manner in which and the uh, challenges with which uh, people have to uh, attempt to to build companies, to build organizations, to build philosophies, and uh, I tend to find uh, find that inspiring. So Eric, uh, as always, tremendous chatting, and uh, I thank everyone today for, uh, for listening. We're going to have a few uh, tremendous episodes lined up uh, in the next short while in 2020. Stay tuned. As a reminder, please be sure to uh, visit our website, ventures.uhhospitals.org, or reach out to us at any time, ideas at uhhospitals.org. We'll catch you next time.